Have you ever ridden the subway before? You know, if you have, you know that when you, you know, you go down the stairs underground to the subway station, you pay your fare and you're standing on the platform waiting for the subway train to come. And then it comes, you know, you, you feel that wind being pushed down the tunnel and you, you feel the, you hear the, the sound of the train coming towards you and then all of a sudden it's there, right? It's rushing into the station and slowing down and there's the brakes and, and then finally the train stops. The doors open and then there's a hustle and a bustle, right? People going in and out of the subway and what's front and center on most people's minds Consciously or subconsciously? Uh, Something that there are signs and announcements for in subway stations. Something that people with strollers or canes are far more attentive to. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know the gap? See, there's, there's always a gap between the platform and the subway train. The gap is the the, uh, space in between that leads down to the tracks below. And we have to remember when we're getting on and off the subway, the gap. Because if we don't, our ankle or our foot could could suffer the consequences. Or a stroller could get stuck. Or the, the cane that we're using could get lodged. Mind the gap. This is a good image for the stories that and the the passages that uh, we read in scripture this morning. They tell us of our lives in the gap. As Christians, we believe that Jesus has come, right? That he has lived the life we should have, died the death we deserve. Our guilt is paid for. Our shame is covered. And and yet we still find ourselves longing for him to come again. We know we have an eternal life with Jesus forever. But we find ourselves right now living in the gap between these two realities. The gap comes with questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why this diagnosis? Why now? Why did God bless me with this abundance of wealth? And how do I be faithful with it? Why do I deserve being treated like this? Why am I led into this? Why do I keep on sinning even when I'm trying so hard to get it out of my life? Why can't I seem to get it right? Why do I have this mental or emotional or physical pain or illness that I have to bear and carry with me? These are questions, longings from living in the gap. King David lived before Jesus came, but he still experiences the same tensions that we do. He says in the psalm for today, he says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. But he doesn't end there. Arrogant foes are attacking me, he says. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. And later, turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. See, this is a cry from a man who feels the tension of living in the gap. 
It's the tension that we feel today too. Surprisingly, this is what Jesus' parable is all about. Jesus tells a story about a farmer who sows his seed. I like to think that the day that the farmer is sowing his seed is a sunny day. Right? Nobody likes to, to go farming in the rain. And so on a sunny day, the farmer goes out and sows good seed on the field. But when everyone was sleeping, an enemy sneaks in and plants weeds among the wheat. Bad seed among the good seed. Now the weed that the enemy sows is actually a specific kind of weed. The Greek language, it has, uh, you know, there's different names for the different weeds. And it's kind of like saying that the the farmers or the enemy sowed dandelions, right? It's a very specific weed that is sowed among the wheat. and, And everyone in that time who many of them understood farming, they would have known that this particular weed is really difficult to differentiate from wheat. That it doesn't really look any different until the crop is ready to produce a harvest. The wheat, or the wheat begins to produce, uh, you know, what it's supposed to, and the weed never does. Nothing useful comes from the weed. That's why in verse 26, it says that when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then they saw that the weeds appeared. What Jesus is saying in this farming story is that in the gap that we live in, between these two kingdoms, these two, we could call them loyalties, the plants represent two different ways of living. We can either give our loyalty to God and, you know, the good seed, the the fruit of the kingdom, or to the world, the weeds. On one level, this struggle, this tension between the wheat and the weeds, between giving loyalty to God and loyalty to the world is a struggle that happens on the outside of us that we all feel. See, as Christians living in this world, one of the realities we, we face, one of the tensions is that, that both are, are alive at the same time. The wheat and the weeds are living together. And we feel this. Maybe you can identify with what this Christian investment banker says. He says, my name was three slots lower than it was last month. Just yesterday, I heard the preacher say, the race is over. You're accepted. Your identity is not in what you have done, but in what Jesus has done. You can rest. But here at the corporate bank where I worked, the race was far from over. And this week, I was falling behind. Each month, the company would post a ranked list of everyone's performance, how much money we had earned the company year to day. No matter what the preacher said my value was on Sunday, on Monday, it was another measure. In black and white, posted on the wall for all to see. I like this 
description because the two ways of measurement show us these two realities at play in our world, these two loyalties, these two kingdoms, and their struggle and how we come in contact with them on a daily basis. How can we know and trust the measurement of God that we're accepted, that we're loved, that we receive an identity as children of God that can't be taken away from us when on Monday morning our identity is posted on the wall for all to see. Jesus is saying in this parable, but we all know we're saturated in that until the final judgment, until the harvest where the wheat and the weeds are separated, Christians will experience a struggle between these two. Not only in the workplace, but at home, at school, with our friends. What's your GPA? How many friends do you have on Facebook? How many followers do you have? But this isn't just an external thing. The story that Jesus tells this particular weed can't simply be thrown away, pulled out and thrown away. Did you notice that? It has to live and be harvested at the same time as the wheat. This is because the root system of this particular weed was, was one that would get intertwined with the wheat. And, and below the surface of the soil, these two plants would grow and almost become one together. So if you pulled one, the other would get uprooted as well. And so the farmer has to wait until the harvest in order to pull the weeds what this parable is telling us is, I think, below the surface too, that there is a struggle between these two loyalties that isn't just outside of us. It's not easily separated. It grows together on the inside of us too. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 7. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Jesus is telling in this story what Paul applies in Romans 7 to himself. I do what I do not want to do, and what I do want to do, I do not do. He talks about this internal struggle between what, what he knows God has, the way that God has called him to live, and what he actually does. And he ends by saying, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? See, we have this internal struggle too. We struggle to live two feet in a trust relationship with Jesus, especially when in the gap things happen. When we experience, you know, things that happen in our lives that say to us, that whisper or scream, God can't be trusted. God has lost touch with your reality. We have to take things into our own hands because he isn't listening. Or we have problem, a problem called sin, right? That time and time again, despite our best efforts, we can't seem to get it right. Like what Paul says, we do what we do not want to do all the time. There is an internal struggle between the wheat and the weeds in our very hearts. We lose patience with our spouse and children. We spend money selfishly on ourselves. We ignore the hurting and broken people around us. We are filled with bias towards those who look, act, smell, eat like us. And we're stuck with it. In the field of our own hearts, weeds have been sown. 
And so when we take a step back, we can see clearly that this story that Jesus is telling rings true in our world and in our hearts. The Bible tells us about a gap that we are all too familiar with on a personal level, on a community level, on a global level. And so when we run up against it, and when we, we come into tension within the gap problems, what do we do about it? Often we react. We try to fix it. We try to step into the shoes of the farmer. How do we do that? One way is by leaning on our own performance. I've been watching a series on Netflix. Uh, Tracy has been away at... Uh, cottage with her uh, siblings uh, for uh, a few weeks and so I've started to have a little bit more control over over our Netflix uh, entertainment and so I've been watching a series on Formula One racing and it's intense and the drivers one, one thing that struck me is that the drivers and the teams they're all racing for the same goal they all want to be the first across the finish line in as many races as possible. Formula One is a performance-driven sport. The drivers want to perform well because they want to keep their seat in the car. The teams want to perform well because then the owners will keep, you know, putting money into the team and they'll have, uh, they'll be able to stay in, in the racing industry. The owners want to do well because they want more endorsement deals and more money in their own pockets. Everything, though, could change with the next race. It's such a performance-driven sport. Performance matters so much that the, the seat of the drivers, the career of the team, hinges upon their performance. Each and every weekend, they try really, 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 really hard to perform well. Living in the gap that we live in with sin and brokenness visible in our world and in ourselves, we are tempted to flip the switch and act like this with God. We forget God's love and commitment to us. We forget about what David says in the psalm that God is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We forget that God's desire is to be in relationship with us. We forget this and we make him into a transactional being. In other words, if I do well, if I hold up my end of the bargain, if I'm a good person, if I muster up enough good things, then God will smile on me and good things will happen in my life. And well, if I don't experience God's goodness, if good things don't happen to me, then he either must be powerless to give me the good things I know I need, or I must not be worthy to receive them. On the other side of things, living in the gap, we can find ourselves falling on the love and the grace of the farmer. In this parable that Jesus tells, the farmer is very patient. Do you see that? He isn't, doesn't seem to be too phased by the fact that the wheat and the weeds have to grow together. He's patient. 
But this does not mean that he's content with it. That he likes it the way that it is. This does not mean that it's the way that it should be, that wheat and weeds should grow together. Good seed is the wheat. It's the, the, the kingdom seed, not the weeds. And we can be tempted to let our weeds hang around, to be complacent in our lives. Oh, it's not a big deal. We can live how we want to live because God is a God of grace. He's a patient farmer. Paul writes it pretty plainly in Romans 8. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And that word for put to death is the word to kill. It's an aggressive word. It's a serious word because loyalty to the world is a deadly disease that can take over and kill us. And so on the one hand, we can't perform our way out of being wheat and no weeds. But on the other hand, we shouldn't be content with our weediness. Because the way of the flesh or the way of the world only leads to death and suffering and pain and brokenness is not the way that God wants the world to go. Both of the reactions that we have come down to this. We don't know why? God could allow the wheat and the weeds to grow together. Why doesn't he just get rid of them? Why do the weeds have to cause so much tension and pain and grief in our lives? Why do we have to live in the gap between the two realities, between the, the victory of Christ on the cross and, and the fullness of the kingdom when he comes again? Why? We, 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 we can't always or ever understand this. We can't hold these two realities together. But what if what we we are powerless to hold together. Jesus has already shown us he can. So Jesus himself was thrown into the gap. The New Testament tells us that everything that we experience was thrown at Jesus despite the fact that he was the perfect, flawless son of God and didn't deserve any of it. He was all wheat and no weeds. But Jesus Christ experienced denial, abandonment, betrayal. He was handed over to an angry mob. He was the victim of an unjust trial. He was tortured. He was killed. He endured a vast array of human evil and violence, including the lies, nationalism, racism... And behind it all was Satan himself. 
And Satan pushed him to the point that he was even ripped out of his father's loving arms and left abandoned on the cross. And it hurt Jesus so bad that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It was a raw, in-the-gap cry. When believers feel the tension of in-the-gap living, we can see that Jesus Christ is quite literally there with us, feeling the same pain that you are. Many looking at the cross must have thought, how could anything good come out of this? If there was any moment in human history where it seemed like the war between good and evil was won by the devil, it was the cross. Jesus' disciples even gave up on him. But if, if we look at the cross, it's the opposite that happened. Jesus triumphs. Something more beautiful than we could ever imagine comes out of the most horrible event in human history. See, the cross is the statement of all statements that God can take evil and brokenness and suffering and pain and even death and redeem it somehow. This doesn't mean we understand it. This doesn't mean that it makes sense to us. But Tim Keller reminds us that that even if it doesn't make sense still, we can trust him. Because we can look at the cross and see that he's good for it. Even though he hasn't shown us the reason for our in-the-gap tensions, we can look at the cross and know that he's good for us, that somehow the same thing will come about in us too. Why would he abandon us when he endured the cross? And he's with us even now. See, that's the whole point of the Romans 8 passage. The Holy Spirit is God's gift for us living in the gap. It's Jesus with us. He is beside you and me. Paul points out three ways that the Holy Spirit is our helper and our encourager in the gap. And I just pray, I can't get into everything here, but read through this Romans passage again. This is the, the parable of the weeds applied. Three things quickly. First, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, leads us into holiness. Paul tells us those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. He says, what the Spirit does is enlighten and persuade us because he's gentle and sensitive. The Spirit never browbeats us, never forces us, but being led by the Spirit is a compelling thing. Do we give the Spirit space to work in us? That's a good question to consider. Do we give the Spirit space to work in us and lead us into holiness? There's a lot of work that goes into in-the-gap living. 
This is daily, hourly, putting to death the things of the world, putting on the things of Christ, letting ourselves be controlled and led by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God leads to life. Putting anything to death is a tight squeeze. And that's why the Spirit also replaces fear with freedom. See, the Spirit's given to us that we don't back up again into a place of fear. Into a place where we are afraid of the law of God, of being held to a moral standard that we can't get to. The Spirit's given to us to set us free and to remind us that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, co-heirs with Christ. This is the freedom that we need to put to death the things of this world. John Stott writes about this whole section in Romans. He says, each verse is given to us as an example of the Holy Spirit's ministry of inward assurance. It's all about assurance. It's all about reminding us over and over again of the reality of God's love and his, his consistent fatherly nature. Abba, Father, we're told to cry out to God. The Spirit is given to us as an assurance. Live in the freedom of Christ. Lastly, the Spirit is the first fruits of our heavenly inheritance. See, living in the gap, we can easily forget that the battle's won. The Spirit is given to us as, as a guarantee, as a first fruits, as, as a down payment on what's to come. When we will be full heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. When we will shine like the glory of the Father. The Spirit is the gift of God for us as we live in the gap. Pray for it. Ask God for his spirit. There is nothing else that we can have that will change our lives more than being filled and filled and filled and filled with God's spirit so that we may live in the fullness of his kingdom. Patience is hard. At the end of Romans 8, Paul urges us to be patient. The word for patience in the Greek means both being patient and waiting and being eager. Not straying from one side or the other too much. And so congregation, let's pray together that we may be eager, so eager for the coming of Christ but patient, patiently, bearing with one another, waiting for the glory that is promised to us and that is already ours in Jesus. Like a child on their, on their tiptoes, right, standing by the window, waiting for their parent to come home, let us be children of God that long for and patiently live in the gap. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for, for Jesus who brought the kingdom of God, who went to the cross to make it possible for us to live in this kingdom here and now. Father, as we struggle with questions about why certain things happen in our world, why there's so much pain and suffering, why you don't do anything about it, Father, would you give us patient endurance, deep trust, that though we can't see the reason for it, that there is one. Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to send us into our world as people who can live in the gap, who, who, who are eagerly, patiently waiting for you to come again. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.